It was Jesus' prayer that we would come together and be one. But there was more. In his prayer, he said, I pray they will be one, so the world will know. Jesus gives us a purpose to gather around, that the world would come to know and love him. We're reminded of this every time we look at the cross. The cross reminds us that sin has a remedy. That Jesus is who he says he is. We have forgiveness for our past, power for our present, and hope for our future. He gave his life for us so we could give our lives for him. We're on a mission to make disciples. Every man, woman, and child, young and old, rich and poor, is unbelievably valuable to God and worth every effort to reach them with the message of Jesus. And so we converge around the cross. We converge to tell what Christ has done for us and to make it known in our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our communities, around the world. We know what he has done and we know what he has asked us to do. We start churches because the message of Jesus through the church brings hope to the world. We're committed to starting missionally-minded churches in every people group and community. We start churches that start churches to see lives change with Christ's love and truth. We strengthen churches. Strong churches are led by strong leaders. So we equip leaders to expand their ministry impact and fulfill the unique calling God has given them. We send people. Many of us anticipate the second coming of Jesus, but many in the world still haven't heard of his first coming. While we want all people to know Jesus, we focus on the least reached peoples of the world. We equip national leaders to create movements that impact individuals, communities, and regions through the power of the gospel. This is what we do. This is who we are. We start and strengthen churches together worldwide so the world will know Jesus. We are Converge. We are Converge. We are a part of a network of churches all across the United States and the world, really, who seek to do just that. To, to, to start churches, to plant churches, to make them strong. Uh, we just did this a year, a little over a year ago, uh, Cheyenne, or, uh, Cheyenne uh, Prairie Hills Community Church up in Lusk. Uh, we sent Pastor Ty up there to, to plant a church, to start a church, to reach out in that community in a new and fresh way. And people are turning over their lives to Jesus Christ. Um, it, it's, it's a wonderful thing to be a part of that. Just last week, uh, patch pastors of, of our Converge Rocky Mountain network of churches drove around the western side of the state. We went to Newcastle, we went to Gillette, we stopped in Douglas and, and just prayed and talked to people. And we're beginning to seek, Lord, where, where would you like us to plant the next church? The next fresh voice of the gospel in the state of Wyoming. Because nobody else is going to come to our state. They're, people from Nebraska or Texas or North Carolina, they don't have a heart for the people of Wyoming like we do. And, and so, would you join with me in praying, Lord Jesus, where would you have us plant that next fresh voice of the gospel of Jesus Christ? We, we spoke with a pastor in Gillette, and, uh, you know, we're encouraged by, actually, his words of, of how their churches are working together to, to reach their community for the gospel, and how, actually, oil and coal has, has actually taken a little tick up. Um, for their community, and, and people are, are feeling just a little bit hopeful. We were also in Newcastle, where, where they had a 1,000 people in Weston County lose their jobs uh, when the coal went down. Hurting people, hurting people. Um, you know you know hurting people, right? You have people in your life, in your circles of influence, who, who are hurting. You know, that's, that's your across the street, and if you see the, the title of this series, it's going to be three weeks long. It's, it's titled Reach Across the Street and Around the World. And Converge is, is also pinpointing people groups 
on the other side of our planet who have no, no voice to the gospel. None. They've not had any. And, and we are praying about becoming a part of that as well. Lord, how could we support a pastor and a missionary to, to rise up in an unreached, unengaged people group to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? You know, don't you think that just because you live here in a town or in a county of 17,000, or I'm, I'm not sure how many people live in Platte County or, or, uh, or uh, Scotts Bluff County, but some, oftentimes we sort of think to ourselves, ah, you know, I'm just, just going to get through my life and do my thing today. And, 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 and we can lead ourselves to believe that we really don't have any impact on the world when we couldn't be further from the truth. Every one of us has a mission. God has given us a mission. And, uh, you know, God is on a mission in our world. Um, what comes to your mind when you think of mission? What comes to your mind when you think of mission? I think of the Fellowship of the Ring. I think of Frodo Baggins and a few other hobbits who went on a pretty important mission, really, as the story goes, right? Um, they, they, they join with some other uh, people, Aragorn, Boromir, and... Legolas, Gandalf, yes. And, and what is their mission? Seemingly an impossible one, right? They're to take this ring that controls the rings for evil, and they're supposed to go to this volcano and throw it in, right? And of course, it, it drags out over three books. Tolkien is an incredible writer. Um, the movies are nothing like the book, my son tells me. He wrote the, wrote, wrote, read The Fellowship of the Ring like a weekend ago, like in a weekend, like, Really? Who does that? It's like 600 pages. But uh, um, that, that's one of the things that I think of in mission. Maybe, maybe if you're older in the room, you think of Mission Impossible with Peter Graves and Barbara Bain, right? Um, this message will self-destruct in 30 seconds, right? I, I have 10, 10 seconds. Well, it shows you how much I know. Um, honestly, never seen an, a single episode. But but they all often had to risk life and limb to fulfill the mission that they're given and they're willing to, you know, on a mission. Um, and, and it takes a, an, a special agent of any kind, really, a super important task, which is a huge responsibility, yes, but, but the importance it isn't all just on the mission itself. It's on the agent of that mission. Every mission needs an agent, right? Um, the Secret Service, what are they called? Secret Service agents, right? They have an important task to protect the president and other important officials. Um, What about the Apollo 13 crew, right? These astronauts had to devise a way in which, with only the stuff that they had in their spaceship, to get back to planet Earth, right? Something happened almost catastrophic as they were trying to get to the moon, right? Their original mission was to get to the moon, but then they sort of had a mission in a a mission. It's like, let's get to the moon. And then it's like, oh, oh, wait, let's just get home, right? And and they, they poured everything they had into that mission. How about this phrase? We are on a mission from God. Yeah, the Blues Brothers, right? When I went to, to the University of Wyoming, I showed up on campus and there are these signs all over campus that had a picture of the Blues Brothers and sunglasses and it said, we are on a mission from God. And then it, underneath it said, join us on Thursday nights, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And I became a part of that group. And, and I entered into the mission of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, which, is, which was to reach our fellow peers, our students, with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and we, we joined Bible studies, and, and we joined prayer groups, and we had them all over campus. We had a, a, a Downey Hall prayer group. We had a McIntyre Hall prayer group. We had an ag building prayer group. We had Bible studies that met in all of those places. And our mission as college students, in addition to getting an education, or getting a degree, I should say. My dad always said I should never let my studies get in the way of my education. Can be two separate things. Um, we were we were on a mission, and that was to reach our friends for Jesus Christ. Now, there, there seems to be a recurring theme here, doesn't it? It's saving. It's saving. All these missions have a, a, a key component. It's to save something. Maybe you've seen the movie Man of Steel. Some of you saw the movie earlier. It was called Superman, right? What does Superman do in every Superman movie? Saves the world, right? Saves the city. Except that one, Superman versus Batman. I, I saw that title. I was like, what? 
no way, they're both good guys, they can't. Anyway, I, I, I didn't like it. I didn't like the movie. Now, I know someone, those are all fictitious, well, except for the Apollo 13 crew, fictitious people. I know someone who's real, real to life as you and me, who came on a mission to save the world, to save humanity, and his name is Yahweh. His name is God. He came on a mission. You see, God is on a mission across the street and around the world. Second Peter 3, 8, 9, you can read it up on the screen. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come in repentance. You see, some of us say, come Lord, come Lord, come Lord, and we want him to come. But in his coming, there are people who are in our very lives who will go to hell if he came today. And and one of the questions I want to ask and pose to us through this course of the series is, what are you going to do about it? We all have a mission. We are all a part of this mission. As Christ followers, if you are in this room today and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, and he is the Lord of your life, he has given you a mission. He's given you a mission, and we're going to be talking about that. Um, his mission is also described in Genesis chapter 22, 17 and 19, through 19. It says this, God says this, I will surely bless you and make your descendants, he's talking to Abraham, as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed, because you have obeyed me. Through your offspring, what what does he say? All nations on earth will be blessed. All nations on earth. See, Israel is to be his instrument in which the goodness and salvation of God will be communicated to the world. So so I'm going to talk about three agents this morning. The first one is this. It's Israel. Israel was God's first agent. Or agency, if, if we want to call it that. Israel was God's first agency. Look at, look at Genesis 18, 17 through 19. Then the Lord said, sorry, Roy, I skipped one, didn't I? Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised. Two things God gave Abraham gave Israel to do. One, follow him faithfully. That was number one. The second one was what? To be a blessing to all nations. To be a blessing to all nations. If if you if you write in your Bibles and you haven't underlined this yet, underline verse 18 and circle all nations. See God didn't just choose Israel because he was lonely or he he wanted a people to call his own like you know, we get a dog or a cat or something, and we say, well, that's my pet. That's, that's not what God did with Israel. They were, there was a much greater purpose in saving the nation of Israel. It was to use Israel as a, an agency to save the rest of the world, all of the nations. And as we look at the history of Israel, what do we see? We see ups and downs. We see times where they were really... They were doing a good job at it, standing apart, and, and nations around them were seeing what God, Yahweh, was doing and, and, and what he could do to save and rescue someone. But, but then there were other times when, when they weren't doing such a hot job, and, and they were only thinking of themselves, and, and we need to be challenged by that. We need to recognize in our own life, where am I today? Where am I today in my relationship with God? Am I only living for myself, or am I on mission? across the street and around the world. Israel was God's first agent. And of course, really, you know, the time of Abraham was only kind of the beginning of his mission. If we look back, we can see in the Old Testament that that God is preparing people for something else. Something else is going to happen. Hundreds and hundreds of years later, in fact, several thousand years later, in God's perfect timing, the next movement of his acts on planet Earth happens. And at the precise moment that it does, even he even aligns the stars properly for this event. Isn't God amazing how he works in our world? You see, God sends a special agent. Who's the special agent? It's Jesus. Of course it is. 
Jesus is God's special agent. Under the cover of darkness of night in a humble stable, cows, sheep, goats, straw, and manure, this special agent entered into the world. Not not like James Bond who comes in with a blast and an explosion and a fancy car and all sorts of gadgets. Jesus came in quietly, almost secretly, no huge fanfare except for one shocking angel appearance to the shepherds. There was no doubt in their minds that something amazing was happening. But the world knew he was coming. Thousands of years worth of of prophecies proclaimed it. In fact, even the pagans knew that he had arrived. When the Magi head off on their trip from the east, looking for the one who had fulfilled the prophecies that they had been studying and who had the star as a sign, the indication in the universe Think about this, the indication in the universe that that God's special agent, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, had come. He had arrived. Wouldn't it have been amazing to have been there? I mean, think about it. I'm almost afraid of of if I had been there because I wonder if I had been, maybe if I had been one of the doubters. You know, how can I trust this? How can I trust that, that this is who it is? But he came. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, again speaking of Israel, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. What? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Why would they need to declare those things? So that other people could hear the message. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, we, this is true of all of us as Christ followers. We were at one time condemned to hell, headed there if we had taken our last breath before he snatched us, before he saved us. You see, it's possible to belong to God because of Jesus Christ. We are God's special possession. Jesus wasn't just a special agent. He was God himself. God became that special agent. You see, Jesus, he was born a baby in human flesh. We have a couple of them in the room. You've heard them occasionally. I bet bet he cried in the night and woke his parents up every two hours. You know where it says that, that, that song that we sing at Christmas time, Away in the Manger, you know, No Crying He Makes. Well, maybe for that one moment that the song was speaking about, but I guarantee you he cried and cried and cried. I mean, he did everything a baby would do, right? Like us, he grew up. He became a toddler. They probably didn't call it the terrible twos with Jesus, though, because, you know, he was perfect. I bet his siblings called it the terrible twos because it was terrible for them. I wonder what his first word was. Was it daddy? Was it mommy? Jesus was human. And he came in this form for us. Eventually, he was a teenager, and I would guess that there maybe were some girls in the neighborhood that thought he was cute. I mean, really, think about that. We sort of, we sort of, sort of remove ourselves of, of all of that, right? That, that Jesus was, was human. That he, that he lived under all of those. Some of you guys think, oh, man, being a teenager is really hard. There's all of these temptations, and there's these things that I have to say no to, and, and there's things that I should wait for, and all of this. And, and how does God even know that, that I struggle with those things? Well, the Bible says that, that Jesus knows every temptation that is common to man. See, he was a teenager. He was a young apprentice in his father's carpenter shop. And, and we can look to him and know. Uh, that, that verse that I just mentioned is in Hebrews 4. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Jesus was perfect. He didn't sin. Sinless, unblemished, the Lamb of God who paid the penalty for our sin on a cross, not unlike that one. In form, not in substance. They didn't have styrofoam back then. Aren't aren't you thankful for that sacrifice that Jesus made for you? And today we commemorate that here with this table, the bread representing his broken body and the cup 
representing the blood that he shed. And as Christ followers today, we will celebrate together. We will remember together this sacrifice that Jesus made. Now, I want to go on to point three, and point three is the most humbling and exciting point of the day. You see, we are God's agents on mission. Uh, I want you to, in that first blank, I want you to put your name. Not literally your name, but whatever your name is, put that in there. God's current agent. Now, many people meet that statement and that truth in trepidation and with fear and trembling because they think there's no way that, that I have the ability or the gifts to be an agent of God, to somehow be a light in this world, to somehow be significant enough that, that he would want to use me. But that's not true. That, those thoughts come straight from the pit of hell because it's not true. God calls every one of us to be on mission with him, to be an evangelist in essence, We're going to talk about that a little bit more next week. I don't want to dwell on that this morning. But what we need to understand is that even though we're weak in the knees, as we think about proclaiming the name of Jesus, he will give us the strength. He will give us the opportunity. He has put you in the place where you are and wants to use you in that way with those that you rub shoulders with every day. Every day. We are his agents. Now, you're also maybe thinking, well, here he goes, time to heap on the guilt, right? Well, I I want you to know that I'm not in a guilt-heaping mood today. Uh, God isn't either. There are those who would attempt to convince you that you're not qualified, that you don't know enough, Maybe you've only been a Christian for a few weeks or a few months. And there are those, maybe, who would say, well, you, you can't know enough to, to share Christ with somebody else. And, and I just think, are you kidding me? If you have given your life over to Jesus Christ, what more do you need to know? How did you do that? How, what, what, who were you before? You may not completely understand you are, who you are now, but, but you've... You've felt the saving grace of Jesus Christ in your life. You've you've sensed it. You know that something's different. Tell them that when you have that conversation. Really, it's as simple as that. I don't get it. I I really don't get it. But but what I do know is there's just this, there's a sense of peace. That Jesus loves me and that he's forgiven me for everything past and for things in the future. And let God do the rest. Let God, I, you know, I, I often get sort of nervous. I know this is going to sound kind of strange because you're going to be like, ooh, really? But when I'm like, like when we went to Newcastle and we were kind of wandering around talking to people, I was a little bit nervous about just kind of walking up to a stranger and just, we weren't sharing Christ with them. We were trying to figure out, you know, information about their community and about their churches and what their impression was and that sort of thing. And I was still a little bit shy about that crazy, isn't it? What is that? What does that? It's, it's the fear of screwing up, saying the wrong thing, turning somebody off to Jesus Christ. Well, you know what? His shoulders are broad enough to handle our mistakes. It's our, ultimately, it's our willingness that he wants, not, not what we know. So who do you know that lives across the street that doesn't know Jesus, that's, that, that's condemned to hell today? And, and, and what have you experienced in the last six months of your life in your walk with Jesus Christ or, or in the last 30 years? Or, or remember back to that first day when, when you first came to Christ. Talk about that. Let them know. I mean, did it, honestly, did the disciples ever stick their foot in their mouths? Over and over and over again, Right? It's God's mission, and he's going to carry it out the way he wants to. Can you think of a better mission, though? Bringing the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ to another person on this planet who doesn't know him? Or receiving that yourself? Experiencing his forgiveness? 
You know, the United States has embassies all over the world. Some of them are in very insecure and dangerous countries. We know from the last couple of years. People have died being ambassadors in other countries. But men and women who are chosen to be ambassadors at those embassies see it as a great honor and a privilege to serve. And they go to whatever country they are called and they, represent, and they become a representative of the goodness of the United States of America, often ridiculed, rejected, sometimes even killed. But they continue to engage in bringing the message of political freedom and democracy to other countries. They are on a mission of our nation. We are the current agents on a mission to the nations under God. Look at Second Corinthians five nineteen through twenty one with me up here on the screen. That God was reconciling the the world to Himself in Christ Jesus. Paul says, not counting men's sins against them, and He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. He's given it to you and to me. That it, this is our message: that that God loves you and that He wants to reconcile you with Him. We present that message. We present that truth. And it's up to the other person. And I get, you know, I, I get tired of people that say, well, you know, I, I don't want to have anything to do with it because I've been approached by really obnoxious people. I'm not saying be obnoxious about it. I'm, I'm saying speak the truth in love and let the chips fall where they may. Somebody can disagree with us and say, I reject your message and we can still love them. We can still walk away from that, from that conversation and be friends and pray for them and pray for them. We don't have to become offended by that. It's not us they're rejecting. It's the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 20 of, of 2 Corinthians 5. 19 through 21. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his special appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So what does it say that we are? What are we? We are ambassadors. We are agents of the mission. Again, you might be thinking, wow, God sure could have picked a better person to do it than me. Maybe he could have rented billboards all across the United States or put commercials on television instead of using me. But that's not how he wanted to do it. He wanted to use you, and he wanted to use me. Now, I want to encourage you to meditate on this passage, this 2 Corinthians five nineteen through 21 this week. Let it soak in. Think about its truth. And, and what it's telling you about who you are. Philip Yancey said this, For the watching world, we ourselves serve proof that God is alive. We form the visible shape of what he is like. Now, sometimes that's a really poor image, I'm ashamed to say. But he doesn't discard us. He, he, he lifts us up by the chin and he says, I, I forgive you. And we go on from there. Acts 2, 46 and 47 says this, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Those early Christians were ambassadors for Jesus Christ. They were agents in their community. And some of them, like Paul, they they went miles and miles and miles away on mission trips. Where did my microphone, my cordless microphone go? Did, where is it? It's on a what? Oh, it's on a stand. Not there. It's on Laura's stand. Over here. Oh, Laura, don't apologize. Because I had to steal it from you last Sunday, too. You know, we introduced Manon Strong last week, who's going to be a a missionary. Now, Manon, I know this is a personal question. And I'm just going to break complete and total PC and protocol. How old are you? 63. 63 years old. If you're 63 or younger 
in this room and you think you couldn't be a short-term missionary? Ah, dead wrong. Manon's going to be. Another country. She's going to love people in the name of Jesus Christ and care for them. Uh, the carpenters just retired, actually, from missions work. Can, can, can you tell me how old the carpenters are? Yes. He's 75. He's 75. 75 years old. Just retired from the mission field. Maybe, maybe you're 75 years old and, and you're just sitting there wondering, well, what, what is my mission field? Maybe it isn't in the United States. Maybe it's in another country. I don't know. I hope that all of us are challenged over these next three weeks. To find the mission, whether it's where you live or, or someplace that God is seeking to move you and take you. We have college students who travel. Uh, they've, they've gone all sorts of places. Uh, a Sandlin, Steffi, went where? Sicily, right? She was in Italy, in Sicily. Um, Mark, come up here. Mark was in Australia this summer, leading missionaries. Who else? Tell me. Julie, where did Julie go? Julie was in Kazakhstan and China. Look, these are probably not teenagers yet. Are you, how old are you? Ah, uh, not quite teenagers, but young people are, are going. Who, who are the young people in this room who would say, you know what, I would pray about being a missionary, whether it's three months or three years. Think about that. Think about that. Uh, Mark's going to tell us about his mission trip to Australia. He's got a little presentation for us. Go. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> I don't really need an introduction now, so here we go. Uh, yeah, so this summer I went with an organization called Rain Ministries to Australia and New Zealand. Um, you can go ahead and go to the next one. So just a little bit um, about the organization. It's a non-denominational organization. It was started in 1981 by a gentleman of the name of Louis Inks. He's uh, turning 80 years old this year, and he actually went again after taking a break for a couple years to Israel and Austria and Slovakia, leading another team. So even if you're 80 years old, you can be going. <laughs> um, so yeah, so the first team um, back in 1982 was sent to a whole bunch of different countries all throughout Europe for several months. It was like three to six months, kind of a trial run. A bunch of high schoolers, people of all age, ages went. And from there, it grew to what it is today. So Rain Ministries now has three sub-organizations, Royal Servants, which focuses on high schoolers, which is what I went with, um, Kairos, which is a gap year program for college students, um, and then finally Rain Ministries UK, which is, for the last couple of years, they've been focusing their efforts on setting another headquarters in the UK to have continual uh, mission work being completed by the people in the UK. So now, after just going throughout Europe, there are several teams with Royal Servants, uh, they go to China, Kenya, Sierra Leone, uh, Nepal, Ireland, Israel, now Australia, uh, and New Zealand. That was a new one this year. And they, they just go all over the place. It changes year to year. They've had teams to Russia, Romania, all kinds of different places. So that's what it is, and that's why I went with. So you can go ahead. So back in 2008... Um, I went to Nepal. I had heard about Royal Servants because my sister Rebecca and my brother Philip had both traveled with them before. They had done the EuroQuest team, which travels to anywhere from 9 to 13 different countries. And it's kind of a funny story. The conversation went something like, I turned 13, which is their youngest age limit, and my parents go, well, are you ready? And I say, for what? And they say, well, you're going to go on a mission trip. Uh, both your siblings went, it's your turn. They said, so go online, look at it, pick one. And I said, oh, okay. So uh, I got online and I looked and, you know, they had both went on EuroQuest. My brother also went to Israel. But I was like, I, I want to do something different. And so the Nepal team kind of kept sticking out to me. And I'm like, man, the idea of hiking the Himalayas sounds really cool. So that's the one I picked. So 2008, boom, I go. Well, I get back. Uh, it was an incredible, life-changing experience. Um, and I had wanted to go again, but, uh, you know, life just kind of happened. My father got deployed again. Um, when, when he got back, we actually moved down to here. And I went from homeschooling to go to high school. I started traveling um, for extracurricular activities in the summer. After high school, college started. And I just kind of kept putting it off, putting it off, you know. And, but I had always thought about it. Finally, the Lord just decided it was time for me to go again. 
I had previously been working in the neuroscience department at UW. Um, I had just gotten a fellowship for the work that I was doing worth quite a bit of money. And I'm thinking, great, Lord's really blessing me. Then I get a message over Facebook. And it's from my team leader, um, who's right there on the right, there with the glasses. He um, messaged me over Facebook and he says, hey, Mark, you know, we've kind of kept in contact over the last eight years, you know, here and there. And, you know, me and my wife have been watching you over Facebook. How would you like to come lead a new team with us? And I go, oh, man. Oh, geez, here we go. So I'm thinking, well, I don't know what to do. God's really blessing me with what I'm doing at UW. You know, I'm pretty sure this is what he wants me to do. But, man, I've been really wanting to do some more mission work. And I'm like, well, can you give me a week to pray about it? And he says, oh, of course. I wouldn't have it any other way. So in my spirit, I kind of felt, I'm going to do this mission trip. I know I will. But let me talk to my parents call up my parents immediately. Oh, you got to go on the mission trip. Yeah, go ahead and decline that fellowship. Lord will support you. And I'm going, oh, okay. Well, here it is. It's confirmed. So I ring him up and I say, yeah, let's do it. I'm, is there still a spot open? And he said, yes, actually, praise God, you're the first one um, to say yes for this team. Royal Servants has had a really tough time getting senior staff for uh, this last year, last couple years. And he said, we've been really praying for you and really hoping that you'd do this. And so this is just awesome news. So, jump forward about, oh, this happened in March to now June. I had raised my support, um, which a big thank you to the congregation um, for being, you know, my home church, for supporting me financially and through, most importantly, your prayers. It was an incredible experience and tough, but, you know, it was absolutely worth it. So, thank you so much. But we jump forward, support's been raised, and uh, I go. I go to their training camp, which um, starts June 11th for the senior staff. Um, so yeah, it begins with training camp. Uh, for the students, it's about nine days long. For the staff disciplers, which are college-age students that lead high schools, about high schoolers, about two to four of them, they come two weeks early. For us senior staff, we go three weeks early. And this is that top right picture. That's our senior staff tents, uh, kind of spaced out. Um, those little wooden buildings are where we cook our food in. Um, the training camp is in actually Wisconsin, a little place called Partyville. Um, it was always the dream of the founder to have land of their own. They'd always been rented, but uh, they were in Illinois previously. Something happened, and they had to move out. God blessed them to get a small 80-acre farm, so that's where the training camp is now. And so I go. The purpose of the senior staff, I was the finance guy. There's a food person, a medical person, and the team leader. So for that first week, we are training daily about how to fulfill our specific roles. So all day long, basically, I'm working in the books, trying to figure out how to balance a checkbook for a team of anywhere from 20 to 40 people. So that's what I'm doing every day. Um, then, after that first week is over, we go to the airport and we pick up the staff disciples, which there's some on the bus. Uh, they all fly into O'Hare, so it's three hours south of the training camp. And uh, they have a week of basically teachings, how to be a staff discipler, how to train up high schoolers, how to be a leader, so on and so forth. And then this last picture is actually with all of us there. We had about 270 students overall, um, several different uh, teams going all over the world. And that's the uh, high schoolers, all the staff disciples, us senior staff kind of sit in the back behind that. That's what we call the big top. It's where we do all our teachings and, and all of the worship. So three weeks, and now we're finally in Australia. We leave June or excuse me, we leave July 3rd, and we got there July 5th. Quite a bit of travel. Um, so yeah, so we're finally in Australia. We've learned basically how we're going to evangelize. Royal Servants focuses on performance normally. Um, there's a puppet uh, dance and a drama team. That's the job of the dance and the puppets to kind of grab the attention of people. We usually go to city squares, beaches. We're on a beach right there. I'm sitting in the back room running the background, running the music, um, kind of just awkwardly there. But uh, so that is kind of how Royal Sermons mainly does this. Well, what was interesting about the Australia team is this was a brand new team. They had tried going to Australia about 20 years ago. Something, it didn't really work out, and they never went again. So, you know, they prayed about it, and they were thinking, well, where can we go this year? And Australia and New Zealand popped up. So we, they set it all up, and so we went. So this was a trial run. We didn't know if performance was going to work. In China, they can't do performances. If they do performances, the government's going to shut them down, and we can never go back. So they had to be a lot more careful about how they do the evangelism there. So we were like, well, let's try the performances and see what happens. Um, 
it was tough. It was very tough. You know, Australia is like the United States. It's very post-Christian atheist. People will kind of come, watch you, get disinterested, record us with their phones, and then walk away. Then we would start talking to them sometimes. They'd go, oh, that's what you're all about, you know. It, it just, the, the responses differed. But it was still pretty successful. And we did have some awesome opportunities, especially where we were at, where that picture was taken. It's called Bondi Beach, and we had all kinds of people stop and talk to us, and it was just incredible. So that's one way we did our mission work. And then also we did surveys, going up to random people and just talking to them. That's really tough. <laughs> you know, just going up and saying, hey, we're a crazy group of Americans walking around, and we just wanted to know if we could ask you a few questions about some, you know, things of a spiritual nature, if you will. We kind of had a little couple questions to get the conversation going. Is Australia a religious country? What's kind of the main religion, you know, are people's faiths important to them? Oh, are you a religious person? Can you tell us about it? Can we tell you about it? Uh, what we believe. Then we found out, oh, as soon as we got to, hey, can we tell you about it? They go, oh, you got me. That's what you were about. Okay. So we just found out that if we just walked up to him and said, hey, we're going around talking to people about faith. Can we talk to you about it? We actually had some pretty great responses. I didn't. I was kind of the joke of the team. Anybody I talked to would just start yelling at me normally. So uh, I didn't have great responses. Uh, I tried talking to a 80-year-old, probably, gentleman and his wife, and he goes, he stops me right in the middle and goes, you know, I know you're just going to preach at me, so can we just not do this today? And I'm like, absolutely, yes, sir. No, I'm sorry. Have a wonderful day. Okay, so those were two different ways. Uh, you can go ahead and go. Um, and then the other ways we did it, we did some relational. We focused our efforts mainly around Sydney and the outlying suburbs. We stayed in a place called Asheville with a Presbyterian church. We reached out to a bunch of churches. They responded and said, yeah, you can absolutely stay at our church. Really old, giant stone building, no heating. It's winter. It was, it was something. But, uh, you know, they blessed us. We were able to stay. We're one of the teams that actually doesn't have to sleep in tents for the summer. So we were blessed, though. Um, and they hooked up to where we didn't have to spend the whole time in Sydney. Um, there was another church, like their sister church, in a gold mining boomtown called Golgong, uh, which is up that top left corner. is a little 2,500-people town. And our main focus there was we were there for about five days, and we worked with their youth. Um, they had a pretty great youth program already. There wasn't a whole lot of people, but just every day, basically, we were either going to the school that the pastor actually was able to teach a scripture class there. Um, pretty interesting. And we worked with the youth, and it was awesome. We got to build relationships. People were all really upset when we were leaving. You know, We had some kids give themselves to the Lord. Others rededicate their lives to the Lord. It was just awesome. The relational type of stuff, rather than just walking up to people, worked really, really well. And finally, uh, I just say church right there. So that's a picture. Um, what we did a lot of the time was they were starting a new series about marriage. Australia's facing some of the same stuff that America has gone through recently. They're a little bit behind us, but uh, that's where they're at now. And so it was the goal of their church in uh, Ashfield was where we stayed for most of the whole time, that suburb. Um, basically, to start a series about marriage that would show what Christians really think. They, their thing was, don't listen to the media. media. If you want to know what Christians really have to say about marriage come and listen to us. So we were handing out flyers, talking to people. Um, we had a movie night, actually. We were just handing out saying, for kids, it was Zootopia. Uh, we, that picture's actually deceiving. It's a massive church. It absolutely filled it to the brim. People were outside the door. Awesome, awesome. And it was just to get the church in the people's mind, their mind's eye. This was a huge church back in the day, but now they only have a congregation of about 20 people. Um, and so to see it absolutely filled was absolutely incredible. It was an, it was an amazing, amazing experience. So that's kind of what our, our ministry looked like over the summer. Um, as I said, it was tough. You know, I, you know, I couldn't give you a number about how many people came to the Lord. You know, that's not what we were about. Um, what we tell the students when we get there is, we are taking the initiative to share Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results up to God. So we're taking the initiative with the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is driving us to do this. Um, but leaving the results up to God. And that's the big one. And when we tell students that, there's kind of like the sigh of relief. Thinking, oh my, you know, so we don't have to go and convert people, you know, kind of a thing. Convince them of the gospel. And it's like, no. You know, the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He only comes when he's invited. And so we're going to be the same way. If we're going to talk to people, if they don't want to listen to us, that's okay. You know, we'll say, have an awesome day, you know. And so there is this notable relief on their faces. And so we went. 
we did what we could, and we left the results up to God to see what he would do, to see how, what would happen in the years to come. So in the last week, we, got, we went to New Zealand. Um, Royal Servants has a debriefing week. They found that throughout the many years of them doing this, that a third of everybody that would go on a Royal Servants team would go into some type of ministry, past, pastoring, youth pastoring, worship leading, full-time ministry. That's great. There's about another third, though, that crash and burn when they come home, mm. where they just walk away from their faith. You know, um, they get home and just the weight of the world. We're no longer in a biblical, biblically submerged or submerged completely in a biblical atmosphere. And that's very tough to go from that to the real world, you know. And people just walk away from their faith. So after seeing a trend, they came up with this debriefing week, week which was to combat what happens when you get home. You know, it's not just a summer of service. It's for a lifetime of ministry. That's the whole point of royal servants, is to get ministry um, in the mind's eye of the students so that when they come home, they will continue the work, going back to high school, going on to college. Um, And so for a week, there's no ministry. We just reflect back on the summer, and they're given tools on how to deal with some of the problems when they get home. Again, crashing and burning. They have to keep themselves accountable. They're given an hour every day for quiet time. Well, when they get home, they have to keep themselves accountable, facing things like extremely high expectations from family and friends. In the first week, they may lose their temper, and our family member or friend goes, oh, you must have learned nothing this summer. You know, that happens a lot. Going back to a home that may not be a Christian home, how, how do we deal with these things? So that's what that whole week is about. For a senior staff, we're not really doing anything at that time. It's, it's more for them. Um, and that's kind of what we did for the last week. And, yeah, that's, that, was, that was what we did. Um, we left June 11th training, got into Australia July 5th, and I got home August 6th. So... That's what I did my, this awesome. summer. Awesome. So thank you so much. Thank you, man. Yeah, 21% of your regular giving on a Sunday morning goes to missions, and the missions team helped support uh, Mark, and uh, those that knew that he went were praying for him. And uh, so that's across the world. And, uh, and what about across the street? I, I think across the street is the more the relational aspect, right? And across, there's a place for just walking up to people and saying, hey, can I talk to you about this? And, uh, but, but generally, what we're going to experience on a daily basis, it's those people that we know and love and that we've developed a relationship with them. And one day we just, you know, we just say, hey, you know, I love you a lot. And can we talk about Jesus? I mean, you know. Um, see and see where that goes. Wow. Okay, I have two stories. I'm going to tell one. I've been sitting here listening to Mark, but also trying to determine which story I was going to tell. Um, I think I'm going to tell this one. Once upon a time, two brothers who lived on adjoining farms fell into conflict. It was the first serious rift in 40 years of farming side by side, sharing machinery and trading labor and goods as needed without a hitch. Then the long collaboration fell apart. It began with a small misunderstanding, and it grew into a major difference, and finally it exploded into an exchange of bitter words followed by weeks of silence. One morning there was a knock on John's door. He opened it to find a man with a carpenter's toolbox. I'm looking for a few days... I'll go one better. See that pile of lumber curing by the barn? I want you to build me a fence, an eight-foot fence, so I won't need to see his place anymore. Cool him down, anyhow. The carpenter said, I think I understand the situation. Show me the nails in the post hole digger, and I'll be able to do a job that pleases you. The older brother had to go to town for supplies, so he helped the carpenter get the materials ready, and then he was off for the day. The carpenter worked hard all day, measuring, sawing, nailing. 
About sunset, when the farmer returned, the carpenter had just finished his job. The farmer's eyes opened wide, his jaw dropped. There was no fence there at all. It was a bridge. A bridge stretching from one side of the creek to the other. A fine piece of work, handrails and all. And the neighbor, his younger brother, was coming across, his hand outstretched. You are quite a fellow to build this bridge after all I've said and done. The two brothers stood at each other, at each end of the bridge, and then they met in the middle, hugging. They turned to see the carpenter hoist his toolbox on his shoulder. No, wait, stay a few days. I've got a lot of other projects for you, said the older brother. I'd love to stay on, the carpenter said, but I have many more bridges to build. You see, Jesus built a bridge to us. He built, we, didn't, we didn't call him down. We didn't, we didn't get him here somehow. He built that bridge to us, a bridge of forgiveness and salvation. And what reaching across the street and reaching around the world does is it builds a bridge from us to them so that we can proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hey, look, they don't want to talk about it. You won't know that unless you ask. We won't know that unless we begin building that bridge to them. So I want to end today with us celebrating communion. Worship team, come up. We close, hopefully, maybe with some sound um, besides me. And uh, I, you know, this happens every week. You give them five, they take 20. No, just kidding. I, I gave Mark 10, and, and that's, you know, maybe a little bit more than 10, but that was good. Thank you so much, Mark, for coming. And we're going to hear from Steffi sometime about her trip. And, and uh, you know, we need to hear those things. We need to hear how God is moving. In the, what, what happened with the fellowship? The fellowship you gave up to go on this mission trip. You still have it? Here. It's still here. You didn't have to give up one for the other. Praise God. See, you know, we worry about stuff sometimes. It's like, um, I'm going to pray. And then what we're going to do is... uh, you know, Jesus gave us this to, to, as a reminder to celebrate. And, and what I want us to do this morning is to celebrate and to thank him for that bridge that he built to save us. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ during these last couple songs, come up, grab a piece of bread which represents his broken body. Grab a, a cup of juice which represents the blood that he shared. And when you go back to your seat, thank him. And partake of the bread and then of the cup. You can pray, you can get on your knees, you can kneel at the altar, you can sing. And then as Caleb moves into the last song, the ushers are going to come forward and take our morning offering as we worship him, and then Caleb will close our service. Let me just pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for for saving us, for, for doing what had to be done and what only you could do. And Lord, this morning as we proclaim that salvation and as we celebrate that I pray that we are also we are also thinking about the fact that that you that we are your ambassadors that you have that you're sending us whether it's to the machine shop where we work or the cafeteria or home with our children or to another city or state a new job maybe Lord, help us to see that, that it's not chance that we're there. You, you have us all on mission. And we have such good news to share. And Lord, it is that good news that we celebrate this morning as we partake of communion together. In Jesus' name, amen.